Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Susan Tanner. And Susan, we're so excited to have you back here again this week. Thank you. We're going to continue talking about Paul, but we're actually starting with the epistles, which is pretty wonderful. We kind of ended in the Acts with Paul in Rome, and yet we're starting with the epistle to the Romans. And I think sometimes people misunderstand and think that this was written after Paul was in Rome, and it's not. It's quite a bit before this ever happened, before he ever got to Rome. And so instead, this is an opportunity for him to talk to the Roman saints. Now, I just love the the beginning. Matter of fact, I'm going to read Romans 1, verses 7 through 9. And as I read it, I want you to think, what does this beginning sound like to you? He says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. It sounds just like President Nelson at the beginning of General Conference. It does. That's exactly what I thought of. When I read that, I just thought, okay, he's starting as an apostle of the Lord. He's expressing his thoughts and feelings to these saints that he hasn't met yet, but who are always in his hearts. You know, he's praying for them. And and I know he's really praying with fervent prayer because that's who Paul was. He was fervent about everything that he did. But he also is doing some um, specific things with this epistle. He has three specific reasons why he's writing this. The first one is to prepare for his future arrival in Rome. And so he very specifically says how much he wants to go there and how he wants to be with the saints there. And the second is to clarify and defend some of the teachings. And specifically, he wants to promote this this whole thing, which I, you know, oftentimes when we talk about the apostles, how many of them will have a theme for their ministry. Obviously, Paul's theme is to unite Jewish members of the church with the Gentile members of the church. And he talks very specifically about that in the epistle of Rome. And then finally, he just wants to make sure that they also understand the doctrine of Christ. And so he's very specific in the things that he teaches them, trying to help them to understand principles that maybe, I mean, think of it, without phone communication, where you're traveling. I mean, traveling was not easy, as we saw with the shipwreck and other things that they had to go through. These saints oftentimes would be by themselves trying to figure it out. And so he, as an apostle of the Lord, is also giving them very specific counsel and advice. Uh, But along with that, sometimes Romans has been difficult to understand. A matter of fact, Bruce R. McConkie said that Romans has been the source of more doctrinal misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and mischief than any other <laughs> biblical book. Wow. And I know, Susan, you were going to talk about how 
Peter also well, felt it was when difficult. I was struggling a little bit, I was glad for the reference to Peter because <laughs> Peter um, kind of put it in our camp. He said, "Our our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, <laughs> which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, or or maybe distort, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So, you know, we we don't want to be destroyed because we don't understand Paul, but it's not, if we're the only one who doesn't understand, I mean, we're not the only one who doesn't understand. <laughs> Well, and I think, uh, you know, Elder um, Bruce McConkie and then also Peter are also kind of saying he is just plain hard. So we need yeah. to be careful and, and not beat ourselves up. We don't understand everything that, that are in the apostles. But on the other hand, there are is such beautiful passages. Mm -hmm. As I read it and reread it, I, am, I marvel at his use of language and some of the just beautiful one-liners that he has in here that I, I'm hoping that we can discuss and think about. But I know, Susan, you were also going to talk about the epistles, kind of an overview of how they're structured. Just generally, yeah. You know, I, uh, maybe not everyone knows that they weren't, they're not uh, published in the New Testament in the order in which they were written. They're published by length. I mean, that's fairly simple. The longest one was first, and the shortest one is at the end, um, But except for the uh, epistle to the Hebrews. But um, they also um, are somewhat organized uh, by doctrinal significance. And so this, this Romans, which is first, is very significant doctrinally. And um, people say it's the greatest treatise on salvation in the New Testament. And, and Paul really does cover uh, salvation, justification, and calling an election. I mean, all of these, these very uh, deep doctrines. And um, there, I thought it was interesting that 10 of the 16 chapters spend a lot of time comparing the Mosaic law with the Christian doctrine, mm -hmm. like you were saying. He's trying to help them understand this doctrine that is is new and is what they they t are to live by. And so um, it's it, it, they are beautiful passages, and there is a lot to learn from them. Um, one of my favorite things about this is uh, you mentioned that it was written before he ever went to Rome. It was written in Corinth, and um, and at the end of Romans, we'll talk about in a, a future uh, session, but, but Phoebe was the one who delivered these letters. And Phoebe, I just have to mention her because she's one of my, she's one of my heroines. I really, really am excited to meet Phoebe. I believe that she was a, a sister leader akin to a perhaps a modern-day Relief Society president, but from the few words that we have that describe her, you know, she was a succorer of many. She was someone that Paul commended to the Romans and um, a great woman. So that it's kind of delightful to me that she was the one that was the, the bearer of this epistle to those Roman saints. Well, and Christine, there's some basic terms that Paul uses, especially in this epistle, that we might also have some difficulty understanding. And I know you were going to talk about some of those basic terms. Right. Well, um, the faith versus works discussion is huge through all the epistles. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a big issue, especially when you're talking of other Christians from other faiths um, versus our faith. 
But in um, the epistles, especially in Romans, when they talk about the law, they're talking about the law of Moses and how that law combines with the faith of Christ. But it was complicated because they were still celebrating the feasts and festivals. There was still a large group of members of the early Christian church that were right there in Jerusalem that used the temple. Mm -hmm. Paul himself made a Nazarite vow and went and completed that vow when he went back to Jerusalem and paid for other missionaries who used that vow. And so they were utilizing the structures of the Jewish faith with Christ's fulfillment. And where those lines stopped and started were complicated. And so um, I do think that's where you have the misunderstanding and mischief because people will take those lines and think it applies to all things of the law where there are some rules and commandments that are still intact. There's still a temple and they were using the temple right. until the temple's destruction. Well, and of course, circumcision was right. a huge part of this discussion. Absolutely. And it's interesting because circumcision was perhaps the like seminal concept mm-hmm. of how much of the Jewish faith do we use versus the new law. And so they brought it to the brethren at the end of his first mission. Right. And it was James that said, no, they don't need to be circumcised. Right. So once that happened... Who was the step stepbrother of the Savior, right. which I think also... Gave him a little more clout right? as he was the peacemaker. But, but there were still people in the church that wouldn't quite accept it. Mm-hmm. And so this was such a change for people. Yeah. They really, really struggled. It's interesting because Paul discusses the idea of circumcision being an external law. And then instead, we need to base our testimony on the faith of Christ and that they're not required for that external law. He talks about it in... Romans, Galatians, Philippians, and Colossians. So that idea of circumcision comes through over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it's easy in reading these to say, oh, well, that really doesn't apply to us. But my question to you is, how do you think this applies to our lives today when we look at a law that may have shifted? Can you think of an example in our lives that there has been a similar law that shifted? (laughs) <laughs> well, <so> many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the most recent uh, for the Strength of Youth pamphlet, you know, it was, uh, and it's it's been metamorphosing, is that a word? Anyway, it's been changing through the years, but, but now there aren't lists of to-dos and don'ts. Mm-hmm. There are, they are teaching the doctrine of Christ and wanting us to make decisions inspired by those doctrines and so there's not a it doesn't say don't do this and do do this it's saying this is the doctrine and now you decide but see i have to say it that sometimes i am like the jews that were circumcised in that i'll see a young woman come to church and her skirt will be like we used to have this line where you put your hands down it has to go below and and it'll be very short but they'll come, and those lines are not in there about short length and dress length anymore. Okay. And I just need to love them. But part of me wants to say, ah, wait, we don't. But but it's not in there. And I, I need to move with the prophet's counsel, and it's 
hard for me because I want to be like those Jews saying, wait, we don't do that. But it, that's a cultural thing and not necessarily. They get to choose and my job is to love them. So, so I think it goes a lot with this idea that this early Christian church was trying to become a world church. And we are doing the same thing. You know, we we have been a very much a Utah church. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, in the 21st century, we are truly a worldwide church. And because of that, we have to be more understanding, just like Paul's preaching to the Gentiles and the Jews saying, Jews, you need to understand we are not just a Jewish church anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think we do the same thing. We're not just a Utah church anymore. We're a church for the world. And doctrine fits the whole world. If we exactly. if we want right. to give it that that power, it, it has that power. So right. especially if our testimony is based on a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Exactly. On answers to prayers and those miracles mm-hmm. that happen where we feel the Spirit directing us. And rather than the jot and tittles, I mean that's the frustration I that know, but the jot Paul and is having. Are so easy you can just check them off and you feel so that's good true. that's true and, it, it just, and that's how they felt i, I think know, <laughs> i know and then you're like making me go into this mushing but anyway there were two more um just topics i wanted to cover really quick one of them is justification and and the just and um i loved that the idea of of the just means the forgiven or justification just means being forgiven really feeling forgiven of your sins. And I love that Paul did that so well. You didn't see Paul carry around on his shoulder the fact that, oh, I was such a bad guy in my youth. Instead, he loved the atonement and truly feeling justified and Mm guilt-free. And that was one of the other things they said, declared guiltless and free of punishment, that the Lord will not punish you later, that when you are justified, that the atonement makes the difference. And then the um and the last idea was um that of grace. And I love that Elder Uchtdorf said grace is of two pieces. There's the first piece, which is the gates of heaven, and it opens the gates of heaven that we're allowed to enter through the grace of Christ. It's through Christ's atonement and his grace that we can be saved. And the second is it opens the windows of heaven, that we feel grace in our life. And so um Paul uses the term grace over and over again. Um, The last thing I just wanted to say was Brad Wilcox said this one thing in his talk. He said that some people say we have to earn our way to heaven through works. And that's where that faith and works comes in. But I loved how he said, no, we learn our way to heaven. That in following the commandments and going to the temple, it's all about learning. It's the Lord's university. And so we really do believe it's through grace and it's through faith that we are saved, which Paul says, but there still are laws and requirements that teach us and bring us closer and qualify us for the Spirit. No, I agree. And a matter of fact, if we turn to Romans 2, I did want to, to read this because he is bringing the Old Testament and the New Testament together in Romans 2. He's really trying to teach that the doctrine is the same. The doctrine has not changed. And if we go to 15, he's basically talking here about, uh, you know, the Old Testament scripture. He said, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. I mean, that's, that's from the Old Testament that they would know very well. And then if you go down to 16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men 
by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God. You know that we are the chosen people. We are the ones that have the law written in our hearts and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou, therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? And then going to verse 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee? And then going to 28, For he is not a Jew, meaning the Gentile that's still living the, the righteous law, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit. I wanted to ask you, um, what are your thoughts? We talk about how we need to take these scriptures and put it into our lives today. As you read this interesting question where you're dealing with Jews who are saying, we are the chosen people, you know, we have the law. And they're saying to these new brethren in Christ, you have to live the way we're living. And, you know, Paul's kind of saying, thou preachest, you know, not to steal. Do you steal? Mm -hmm. You know, you preach not to commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? How does this have to do with today and our lives today? Any thoughts on that? Well, I do have to say... Um, it's so interesting because Alfred Edersheim talked about this period of time. Oh, we love Alfred. <laughs> that the law of Moses was supposed to be symbolic, where spiritual realities were conveyed through outward signs. So the point of circumcision was that they would think that they're giving their life, they're changing who they are for the Lord. And it's something they carry with them at all times. And so each one of the things they were doing, but he said that the um, Pharisees had lost the truth of that symbolism. And so by accepting the Gentiles, they took it back to saying, this is symbolic and we have to see the symbolic truths in what we're doing. And I think even as we talked about with these changes, with uh, ministering not being a checkoff monthly. We can't rest in the law where we knock on the door and drop off a little thing and say, I did my ministering. Now it's actually connecting and having a friendship and actually helping and lifting people. And that's a lot trickier, but it's real. I agree too. Are, do you have some thoughts? Well, I was just thinking about um, the inward law and the out, outward appearance mm -hmm. of of keeping the law. And and I feel that so many of the talks that we had at our most recent general conference were talking about us centering our lives in Christ. And I think of Elder Bednar who talked about abiding in Christ and walking with him. And my best way of understanding that is that that is an inward consecration. 
it's not going to be something that's going to be out there for people to see. And I think that I really do feel that um, we're, we're being taught that we need to keep the law in our hearts and not be out, you know, maybe we, like you say, maybe we go leave the cookies on the doorstep, but, but what about what we're really doing in our hearts to love and serve and help? Well, and I wanted to focus on this end part here where sometimes I think we might think, well, you know, I have pioneer heritage. <laughs> I've been a member of this, you know, my family's been a member of this church for generations and generations. Somehow that makes me better than someone who just joined the church. And that's kind of what's happening here in mm -hmm. terms of people are saying, well, look, I, you know, we've been living the law for millennia. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden this law, you're saying, get rid of it. And they're saying, no. And I agree with you that basically what the law was supposed to do was prepare them for this, this higher law, the New Testament that we've been talking about. But along with that, I think that sometimes we have this feeling of, well, I know better. You know, I know more. I, I, can, I can teach you rather than being teachable ourselves and learning what we can learn from others. I was thinking a lot about this today because I was actually on a phone call this morning with some Baha'i in the, I'm going to be going to the Lotus Temple in, in India in just a, a few weeks. And as I was talking to these faithful, lovely people at the Baha'i Temple and just their kindness and willing to, to help and support other people of different faiths, I learned so much from them. And I think even going out even farther, I think sometimes when we look at people of other faiths too, that we need to be open to their faith and learn from them mm -hmm. and understand that, you know, they might be more circumcised of heart than we are mm -hmm. and be humble enough to be able to say, mm -hmm. how can I learn from these righteous people to be a better person myself? Well, it is interesting because as we talk, you think how much effort went into the law of sacrifice, how much money and time, and you think there was only one temple, and they had to wait on those steps for so long for each of the feasts and festivals. It was just so much of an effort, and the sacrifice that we are supposed to have is that of a broken heart and a contrite spirit, which is this internal mm -hmm. as opposed to the external. And sometimes it's easier to do the external to mm -hmm. get those things, but to have the internal and see. I agree. Well, Sister Rebecca Craven, um, she gave a wonderful general conference talk on what matters most. And I thought about that a lot. You know, when, when we're talking about what is it that the Lord's really telling these people? And basically it's to say, what matters most? You know, when we look at the law, it's the doctrine of Christ and we need to make sure that we have the right perspective as we look at these little things. You know, instead, we need to look at our young people and say, how can I help these young people have a stronger testimony of Jesus Christ rather than, you know, how short or long their skirts are? Um, <laughs> instead, we need to say, this is what she said, Sister Creighton. <coughs> if the restored church of Jesus Christ is going to come out of obscurity, we must come out of obscurity. As covenant-keeping women, 
we must shine our gospel light all over the world by stepping up and standing out. And I love that because it's saying not just wherever you live. I mean, yes, where we live is so important. You know, helping the person next door, the neighbor, still taking the cookies. I don't know, but I love, you know, I, I love homemade bread and cookies that are dropped off at my house. But I think that what she's saying is what matters most and how can we bring it to the world? Mm-hmm. What can we do? Well, and I know that, Susan, you're going to talk a little bit about Jesus Christ, bring it to the world in terms of That's right. And it's this justification or forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And I just, I think just um, what we, Paul talks about various sins that we can commit, but then what he says uh, in uh, chapter three, verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and come up short of the glory of God. In other words, and you said this a moment ago, we can't earn his grace. We can. We need to have faith in Him. We need to live righteously, have humility, see, have the vision to see that He is offering us His grace. But we and He offers it to us, and we receive it. After I mean, it's and we do everything we can, but we don't earn it. He, it's His offering to us. It's His gift, and it says, being justified freely or forgiven freely by his grace through the d- redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And of course, the important thing here, I think, is the Joseph Smith translation that says justified or forgiven only by his grace, only by his grace. So we, this is an offering that comes to us and we do all in our part, but we can can never earn it. I think that's a, an important. Um, I think that um, one of the things that Paul is talking about in in these chapters, besides the sins that we commit, is I think he's talking about the sinfulness of our natures or the brokenness of our natures. And this is not in this reading, but in, I think, chapter 7, he exclaims, oh, wretched man that I am, Mm -hmm. like Nephi. And I think what he's really talking about in that is not about a specific sin, but about this this um, fallen nature that I have, and I want that rooted out of me. And that's what Jesus Christ's atonement can do for us. I, my husband wrote this really quite wonderful article uh, reflecting on sin and sinfulness, and I just want to just read a couple of quotes uh, from him. He says, Christ not only forgives sin, he is able to root out sinfulness and free us from its bondage. He not only blots out specific stains and impurities, he heals our brokenness and makes us whole. His atonement not only satisfies the demands of justice, it redeems our fallen natures. I am persuaded that through the atonement of Christ, we can and shall be freed from bondage, cleansed from impurity, healed from brokenness, and made whole, redeemed from guilt, and returned to be at one with God ultimately having no more disposition to do evil. And and Paul says in chapter 5, he says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we can't earn it, but we can have hope in it. And I just thought that um, President Nelson's um, words in his final talk at the April conference talked about the answer is always Jesus Christ. And that's that is, I think, what 
Paul, in a very simple way, is telling us, and President Nelson said, he will heal you from sin as you repent. He will heal you from sadness and fear. He will heal you from the wounds of this world. Whatever questions or problems you have, the answer is always found in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Turn to him. And I I really have a firm testimony of that, that, um, that he offers us this grace that we can't really earn. And I like the, that, they, that it doesn't have to just be um, a, a particular sin, but sometimes just the burdens of this world that we carry can weigh us down. And I have a testimony that through going to him in faith and in humility that he will lift that burden from us. I've had that experience. And um, so I think that's what Paul is telling us. I've made it, I've simplified it, but that's the message I get from these beautiful scriptures. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I did want to just make one comment. Romans has so much in terms of the Joseph Smith translation. Yes. And I think it's really important that as we study Romans, that we look at the Joseph Smith translation because all of the ones that Joseph Smith has put in here for Romans is a clarification of justification of foreordination that we're going to be talking about later next week and some of these other concepts that are kind of difficult as we look at Romans, but Joseph Smith has added additional insights through his translation, which is, of course, through the Lord, through his revelation. And so I just wanted to make that comment that as we study these scriptures, that we also look at at those wonderful comments and additions that are definitely... Matter of fact, when we talk next week about Romans 7, almost the whole Romans 7 is completely redone by Joseph Smith, which is really fun to read. Christine, I know that you're going to talk about the newness of life that we need to walk in as we, you know, as we are forgiven of our sins, then we become a new creature. And but keeping ourselves new is really hard. Right, right. It is interesting. So one of the differences of the gospel of Christ versus the old law is the use of baptism. Because in the old law, you were baptized, you went through a mikvah or a cleansing before any of the um, the fe- feasts or festivals or before you did anything religious. You went through it when you were unclean. You would have to go through another baptism or cleansing. So you were cleansed multiple times a year. You were baptized. And then you also, as a woman, every time you had your period, you went through a, a nida, which is the same thing. So um, it, it's, but with the gospel of Christ... Baptism became the beginning, and it was a one-time thing that was really important to you becoming a new creature. And so teaching this idea of baptism, which is new mm-hmm. for Christ, is really important. And so if you look in chapter 6 of Romans, in verse 4, well, I'll start in verse 3. He says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so we go down into the water and death, and we're raised like Christ is raised. And can you imagine like the newness of this idea? Because before then, that symbolism of baptism being more than a washing, 
but actually being that death and being raised from the dead reminded them of Christ. And um, in 6, he says, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, the man body of sin is destroyed, that we serve not sin. And so that idea that when we come up, that old man is dead and we have this newness of life. And um, Paul really, this idea of becoming a new creature, he says in 2 Corinthians something similar mm -hmm. in that he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. And I do remember, I don't know if you remember your baptism. I was eight and I remember coming out of the water and feeling so like clean and fresh and wanting to keep every rule perfectly in that newness and that effort in trying to keep the law. I even remember the first big sin I did. And it was like, ouch, now I have a dirty spot. And it was so like, it so affected me. But um, I thought, you know, it's funny because it's hard to keep that newness of life, keep that new creature new. And the longer, you know, you see like new converts and you see them making such an effort to really have that change. But how do we continue having that change. And, and it really is hard. And I think for many of us, unlike Paul, who went from being a detractor, in essence, a murderer, to being a missionary, the change was huge. But when we are making these steps, they're really baby steps because we're already on the path. And so just being a little more careful or showing a little more love. Can I just make a comment yeah. that you said about Paul? I do think, though, we have to realize it wasn't immediate. As we talked about last right, it time, six to seven it was years. six to seven years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes because we're looking at this condensed history true. that we go, oh, he just changed automatically. And he didn't. He, too, took years and years and years before he even started becoming a missionary. Right. That's and so true. in the same way, you know, we, we should give ourselves a little bit of right. time. And grace. Mm -hmm. and exactly. Grace. And yes. understand yes. it might take us a while. Right. You know, yes. Well, I was very touched by that idea of baby steps, that it yes. does take time. And Elder Uchtdorf said recently in April 2021 that because of Jesus Christ, our failures do not need to define us. They can refine us. We are infants compared to the beings of glory and grandeur who are we, who we are designed to become. No mortal being advances from crawling to walking to running without frequent stumbles, bumps, and bruises. That's how we learn. And so I think with this newness, we have to remember that those steps and the closer we get are truly baby steps. And it's okay as we fail and then continue to try and fail and continue to try. So, um, and the gift that the Lord's given us is that renewing weekly, that we're not expected to just have the one bath and have it last forever, because then we'd all be stinky. But every week we get that renewing. And I still remember as a young child, um, there was a funeral in our, um, in our chapel and there was the, you know, showing of the body. And the next day when I walked in and I saw the sacrament table, it just touched me that that was like the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I had seen mm -hmm. like a funeral in the same room that it hit me. Mm -hmm. But we really are celebrating mm -hmm. that death and resurrection, that newness of life. Mm -hmm. And so to make our Sabbath 
become a time that we are renewed mm -hmm. is so essential. And remember the real focus we had on using our Sabbath appropriately. Because mm -hmm. in order to keep that newness, it has to be reawakened mm -hmm. often. That's beautiful. Well, I was curious, too, just going along with that, um, what have you done, Susan, to help keep that newness of life in your own life as well? I, I, I just am just exactly what Christine just said. I'm so grateful for the, the sacrament because I think that's what, I, I, I think it's the mercy of the Lord allowing us to do that weekly because he knows that we need that, that, that reminder and correction every, very, very often. And so uh, Sabbath, we, we've tried to call it the Lord's Day rather than Sunday, you know, to mm -hmm. remind us the, the sacredness and the holiness of it. And, uh, and that we, and John always talks about, my husband always talks about that we're not just renewing our covenants, but each time we take the sacrament, we're making that covenant again. And so it is, it's, it's brand new each time, if, if, you know, if we want to think of it that way. And, um, and the, the frequency of it is the great blessing for us. So. One thing that I've added to my sacrament um, time is that I do write down a thought. What can I learn new? Because I think sometimes when we are doing the sacrament over and over and over again, it becomes a snack, you know, in between sacrament meeting. And so for me, one thing that I, I always bring my journal with me to church. And while I'm there, I think and ponder upon the sacrament and try to think of a new spiritual thought that I can learn about the sacrament to make it new every single week. And for me, that has changed the way I view the sacrament. It becomes a learning opportunity as well as enabling me to have that newness every single week too. It's so interesting because I do something similar, but not the same. So during the bread, I use that time to think of my past week and what I have done physically and what I could do better. And then during the water, I let the past go and I look forward. And I like often I think, oh, I should have done this. Oh, there's this person I should contact. So I do have to say, if you'll see me right after the water, you'll often see me like texting someone <laughs> or something because I feel like I'm, I'm open for inspiration and I'm putting the past behind me and letting the spirit guide me now. Mm -hmm. So I tried to learn from the past with the bread and with the water, learn from the spirit. And so that's how I break up the time. But I love the idea of if I brought a journal, then I might not text right now. <laughs> and my husband's like, what do you, you write it down? Like, it's when I feel inspired during the sacrament. <laughs> Better idea. <laughs> well, as we look at um, Romans, I think it's interesting, too, in our reading today, we also have a, a, another interesting theme, and that is this idea of not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ but how sometimes that brings us to tribulation, which we definitely see in Paul's life. So right here at the beginning of Romans 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he starts there, but as we already know through Acts, wow, does he go through tribulations. 
Isn't that cute that he says to the Greek because this is Romans and he's only taught the Greeks at this point? Yeah, I know. There's I, lots yes. more later. I, uh, lots yes. more. Lots more. <laughs> well, and also realize Greeks was know, a, a general. It was a general term for everyone that spoke Greek, right. which was everyone all around that's the Mediterranean. True. They that's all spoke true. Greek. That was that was the language, and so that's the reason why he said that too. But if we go to chapter five. The first five verses, there's this interesting progression that he talks about when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ and tribulations that we have. And he says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, which we've already talked about wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So it's true that grace and faith bring us that hope in the glory of God. And not only so, but, and this is the one little phrase that kind of, I, I have a hard time. <laughs> but we glory in tribulations also. Be of good cheer. In the I know. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. And think about that first scripture that we talked about. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is that hope and going through tribulations that bring us to the fact that we are not ashamed to bear our testimony, even when we have to do it through tribulations because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So I wanted to talk about this progression a little bit with both with both of you. When he talks about first, you know, we have faith and then we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings patience, patience, experience, experience, hope and hope maketh us not ashamed to bear testimony. Well, it is interesting to me that in verse 2, faith brings hope. Yeah. And then through all the things, we have greater hope. And this idea of hope Seriously. is such a big deal because I know a lot of people that have faith in Christ, but that don't have hope in their personal exaltation. That they don't truly believe mm -hmm. that, that they, they are worthy of being saved through Christ. And I think that in our church, we struggle with hope. And we're told we're supposed to have a perfect brightness of hope. That when we see Christ, that it's going to be like, yay, not, oh, I didn't I get up on it. time yesterday. Right. You know, instead, <laughs> we love him and we're excited to see him. And he knows we're not perfect, but he still loves us and we love him. And so I think it's through this hope, through this relationship with Christ that I see is the term hope. Mm -hmm. That then as we have these tribulations, we become closer and closer to him through experience because with each one, we're reaching out for that strength so we can make it through. And then on the other side, our hope is stronger and brighter. So Susan, do you have any thoughts about this progression that, that <laughs> Paul gives to us? Well, <clears throat> one of my thoughts is that we make glory in tribulation again in hindsight. <laughs> that when we're in the middle of it, it might not feel glorious mm -hmm. and it might be hard to be mm -hmm. of good cheer, um, yes. the uh, other term that we've talked about. But, but, um, 
But there's something, this, this idea of patience and kind of endurance. Um, we have a, a daughter who has a special needs child and his syndrome is extremely rare. And so they don't know very much about it. But anyway, I asked her one day, you know, how do you do this? How do you get through this? And she, this is a very mundane little example, but she said, well, it's kind of like Dory in Finding Nemo. <laughs> oh, I love to it. To just keep <laughs> swimming, yes. just keep swimming. And, you know, I think that's kind of what this, this idea of patience and then experience. And we just, we are enduring and we're, we're pushing forward kind of against the water, uh, the waves maybe, but it's, it's building experience, and it's and we're not giving up, which isn't the you know we're not giving up, which is kind of ha- being hopeful. You know, we know there's mm-hmm. going to be something better, and none of it's in real life. Maybe none of it's real perfect, but it's it is that progression and it is that process, and we're just doing it incrementally, a little bit at a time, but we keep going. Well, and along with that, I think sometimes we think tribulations are just, you know, bad things that happen to us. For me, sometimes I think the the hardest tribulations that we have are natural woman tendencies that we have or those, you know, favorite sins that we really have a difficult time giving up. Or sometimes it can be, I just can't do this anymore, like you were describing. And sometimes those tribulations are ones that we have the hardest time giving ourselves some understanding and having patience with ourselves, mm. and having hope, as you were saying, a lot of people don't have hope because instead they beat themselves up mm-hmm. instead of having patience. And we should be rejoicing. And then the experience part. Experience means that we don't, we're not perfect. We're not supposed to be. Part of this for me, as he's going through this, is an understanding of our imperfections and becoming a whole person. Mm -hmm. That is the hope that we have, that someday I can be perfect. Right now, my tribulation is I am not perfect, Mm -hmm. (laughs) very much so. And yet I have hope. I have patience in myself. I know that that patience works experience, and sometimes that means I stumble and fall, and I I, I need to get myself up and do it again and get myself up and do it again. And that hope enables me to not be ashamed to get up, to do it again. I am fascinated by what you used as tribulations because um, mine have been very different than yours, like, like joblessness, you know, with unemployment or losing your house or, um, you know, injury or or sickness or there's these huge externals. You think of the people in Ukraine and their whole lives just totally destroyed, and right. and people that have gone through um, and with all the refugees, mm-hmm. where life changing tribulations, especially those that are Christians that have been kicked out because of their faith. Right. So it is interesting how sometimes those subtle tribulations that were within our own heart are just as heavy as the huge external ones, right. that all of those tribulations have power. And I think as we turn to the Lord, they can all be healed, mm-hmm. that we can find strength through all of them. Well, and just like you said, many of those can also take away hope. It doesn't matter whether it's the big or the little. Both of those can take that hope and that rejoicing that we should have 
and our Savior Jesus Christ from us if we allow it. But he's saying that instead we must rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For me, that's such a positive statement. Mm -hmm. Now, Orson F. Whitney said a very interesting, and I think of Orson F. Whitney's life, how it was full of trial and physical trial. And he said, no pain that we suffer. Most people don't know who Orson F. Whitney is. He's way back in the old church. Way back in the pioneer times. So he went through all of you know, the, the pioneer struggles and issues and problems of, you know, building things up from nothing. And, you know, I really think of our, uh, of our pioneers as being refugees because right. they were, they were. Mm-hmm. you know, they were refugees starting a new life, starting a new land. Over and over okay. and over yeah. again. Exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, so I think of, and you could put just about any name, I think, right. in in terms of what I'm about to say that he okay, said. Sorry. Go ahead. So, but you're right. Any pioneer name. <laughs> um, no pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we come here to acquire, and which will make us more like our Father and Mother in heaven. And I love the fact that he adds Mother in heaven as well at the end of that. Mm-hmm. But what is your thought on this? I think of these the suffering and the way he does it. It's very similar to what Paul's description in terms of he says it brings us humility and purifies our hearts, expands our souls, makes us more tender and charitable. Ironically, right now, um, I'm thinking of some of my students that I teach at BYU, and they're going through, you know, finals. And as they're going through, you know, finals, that seems a little bit like final judgment, you know, to many Mm -hmm. of them. And one of the things that I always try to have them understand is that it's not, you know, that we do have second chances and that we don't have to have it all perfect. We don't need all A's. You know, we can fall and bring ourselves up. And the Lord still loves us, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make us a less person or not as righteous. It just means that we need to get up and continue some of these concepts that we said and rely on that hope in Christ. I was thinking as you were reading this quote about um, missionaries, young missionaries, and you'll think about this too, that um, especially at the first of the mission, a lot of them would just struggle and not know how they could could do it. But, you know, with encouragement and with perseverance and with hope in Christ, they kept persevering. And um, they, they often come home from their mission and say, it wasn't the best two years of my life, but it was the best two years for my life. And, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that is what tribulation is can do for us if we can just continue to, with patience, keep working and keep having that hope as our lodestar in Jesus Christ, 
that it can then be that experience that will will bring us uh, great glory and joy. Well, I would also like to say for those people that don't continue, that left their mission, for those people that failed out of school, which may have been me, <laughs> come back. But, uh, no, come back. No, but um, but I do think the key is that as you continue to make Christ part of your life, mm -hmm. that He can turn those moments into important moments of empathy. When you see someone that's struggling or overwhelmed, the Lord's still there to help you and lift you. And you don't have to be a wonderful, like, like win. It doesn't have to be a great story. Mm -mm. It can be a story of it not working out. It can be the story of the shipwreck on Malta where they actually didn't make it to Rome for a few months and they had to sit around being shipwrecked, which was uncomfortable. But goodness happened in that low negative point. Mm -hmm. They lost the ship. You may have lost the ship, but the people weren't lost as long as you keep that window open. The key is that we keep that relationship with Christ. And then those moments, even of failure, become ones of empathy and of strength so that when you see someone else falling, you can say, I've been there and I love you mm -hmm. and I'm okay. And they're like, oh, maybe I can get there. Make it, yeah. And it's giving people hope. Yes, it right? is. Hope, hope in Christ. Um, I I love this quote by President Kimball. You know, faith precedes the miracle is such a powerful book. And I would say, you know, this rising generation, if you haven't read it, you need to, to read it. It it's just still so powerful. It's such a seven and eternal. Book, but uh, no, it is it's a forever book. It is such a beautiful book. See the hairstyles through the words. Oh well. <laughs> but President Kimball says, and he brings it back to the Savior. And he says, suffering can make saints of people That's as true. they learn patience, long suffering, and self-mastery. The sufferings of our Savior were part of his education. And then he quotes Hebrews 5, 8 through 9, and he says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. For me, the Savior is the perfect example of experience mm -hmm. and how, you know, it wasn't perfect in terms of the way other people perceived him. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't easy. It was a lot of suffering in his life. And yet, think of the hope that he's brought to all mm -hmm. of us. I do think that too often we think if we follow the recipe of the gospel, that everything's going to turn out great like a beautiful cake. And when you see those people that are most righteous, they usually have huge tribulations. Mm -hmm. And so when things are difficult or struggle, or even if they're from the inside out struggles, mm -hmm. you're like, it's okay. I'm, I'm in good hands. I'm, I'm Paul. And you look at Joseph Smith and you look at um, right. Moses and you look at all how, you know, how hard it was. The Lord, I mean, Satan really fights against those who he wants. Definitely. Are, are valiant. Well, I just wanted to end with um, a, a, a last thought by Elder L. Tom Perry. He says, we have been blessed with the light of the gospel to lead us to guide and direct our lives. Through our understanding and study of the scriptures, we have a knowledge of the laws of the Lord by which we should govern our earthly conduct. With this great blessing comes an obligation to be a part of the communities in which we live to bring them hope. 
And I just wanted to leave that, that thought of the fact that with that blessing, just like you were describing, we need to bring light to our communities, to the world, and hope, mm-hmm. even great. during this time of great tribulation in our world today. So thank you for this wonderful discussion today. It's wonderful talking to you about this. Thank you. Thank you.